infertility, chronic pain, church conflict. If you have experienced any of these, then you know that they're traumatic and they can be all consuming. But what if you're experiencing them all and more around the same time or one right after the other? I'm Sharon Batters and you are listening to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And our vision at Mark Inc. is to offer help and hope, especially to hurting people. And today you're going to be listening in on a conversation with Glenna Marshall, whose story definitely fits our vision. Glenna is an author, she is a mother, she is a speaker. She especially has a passion for pastor's wives because of her own experience as a pastor's wife. So I am so grateful that Glenna has agreed to share some of her story with us. And of course, time is limited. So I'm hoping that our time together will be like salty peanuts for you, that you're going to want to hear more about Glenna and her story and the encouragement that she offers and you'll go out and buy her book. So we'll have all that information on the website uh, so that you can connect with Glenna. But for now, Glenna, I am just grateful for you to be here. Welcome. Well, before we jump into the backstory, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story now, where you are now, what gives you joy, what gives you pleasure? Yeah. Well, my husband and I live in Southeast Missouri. He is one of the pastors at our church. We've been here almost 15 years and we originally hail from Tennessee, so we moved here for our church, and we've been here ever since. We have two boys. They are 11 and 4, and they are just wild <laughs> and full of energy and keep me exhausted most of the time, but they're, they're great kids. And um, I am busy with you know church ministry. I also am a social media director for a ministry to pastor's wives and women in ministry. And so I, that keeps me busy doing some online work. And then in the meantime, which there's not a whole lot of it, but I write as much as I can. And really that gives me a lot of joy. I feel like writing is the way that I process life. And so um, it's both a hobby and a ministry. Well, you mentioned writing and I, I love to write myself and it can be very isolating. We squeeze in the minutes that we can, but when we're in a big project, I know that it really takes large chunks of time and you have to say no to a lot of things in order to be able to write the way that is going to make sense to other people. You have written a book about your story and you have another one coming out. Tell us about those books. Sure. Well, the first book is The Promise is His Presence, Why God is Always Enough. And I wrote it after about a decade of overlapping trials, which you mentioned at the beginning of the show. And I, my, my husband and I went through just a host of difficulties that all occurred at the same time over a long period of time. And as we were working through those, and as I was really questioning what I believed about God and his goodness and his faithfulness during those um, many years, the Lord taught me through scripture that, you know, for the Christian suffering is pretty much a guarantee. And that was a surprise for me. I'm not really sure why I missed that part in my Christian upbringing that Christians would suffer. And so when I first experienced it, I was surprised by it. But then as I began to turn to the scriptures to look at what was true about God and what was true about suffering, the thing he kept teaching me over and over again was that he had promised to always be with his people. And that was a promise he will always keep until we see him face to face. And I just, I began to see that truth in scripture, just like a, a thread woven throughout the whole story of scripture. And I thought, I want to write this down. I want 
for my own benefit, I want it for anyone who finds themselves in a place of suffering, that there is no guarantee this side of heaven that they'll be removed from it. I want them to find this encouragement that has been so encouraging to me. So I wrote the book sort of like two interweaving narratives. So you have the biblical story and then you have my own story. And I really go back and forth. It's a unique structure that I kind of had to fight for with my publisher because it is so different. But I was afraid that if people thought, well, it's just a story of the Bible, they would skip it because we sort of skip the things we think we know. And I didn't want people to do that. So I thought if I wove in my personal story of how what God was doing in the story of scripture, how that really resonated with my own personal story that would keep the reader there. And I really loved writing it that way. And, um, and so I wrote it really just for the person who is in a, a season of suffering that doesn't seem to end, or maybe they are walking around with deferred hopes. And so I wanted them to find hope that, you know, contentment really can be found in Christ not in the answers to the prayers that we seek, but really the one that we pray to. And so that's what I wrote that book for. My next book comes out in June, and it's called Everyday Faithfulness, The Beauty of Ordinary Perseverance in a Demanding World. And this book, I just wrote for the regular church-going lady. As pastor's wife, I've gotten to observe people over the years and really looked at what lifelong faithfulness looks like. When you minister in one place for a long time, you kind of get to watch kids grow up. You get to watch people go from middle adult years to older adult years. And just watching people finish well, specifically some saints who have passed on to be with Christ. And I thought, I want to capture what perseverance looks like for the 21st century Christian woman. And I want to write about it. And I really drew from women I have known and women who have encouraged me in my, in my own personal perseverance in the faith. So the book talks through spiritual disciplines that God has given us to help us maintain faithfulness to him. But then each chapter addresses a different season where that's very difficult, whether that's caregiving, suffering, season of sin and temptation, season of doubt, season of waiting. And then each chapter closes with a story of a woman I know who's not famous and not well known, but a woman whose faithfulness has had a profound effect on me. So I cannot wait for that book to come out. I I did not foresee it coming out in the middle of a pandemic, but <laughs> you know, the Lord is sovereign. So we'll just trust him with the results. That's, that's amazing. And I love it. Our 16 year old son, Mark and his friend Kelly were in a fatal car accident mm. in uh, 1993. And I really wrestled with what I believed. I was pastor's wife for 25 years. And the night of his death, I, I said, Lord, I, I've taught your goodness, your character, you bring beauty from ashes, but I don't know how you're going to do that tonight. I don't know how that's going to happen because even though I would have sworn that I did not believe that um, we didn't have to suffer, (laughs) that I believed in suffering, when you're in the middle of it, you realize maybe I did believe that a little bit. And so for me, it was the gift of wrestling, which I feel as though you're kind of saying too, that I wrestled with the Lord. And I had to go back to the beginning and the power and promise of his presence is really what sustained me. I didn't, I, I, for some reason, even being a Bible study teacher, I did not, I I didn't get the power of the thread from Genesis to Revelation that always again and again, what did God say to his people? Don't be afraid. I will be with you. So I think it's an incredible, wonderful message that you are communicating. But here's the thing, Glenna. I think that people listen more when the storyteller has a story where they are a credible witness. 
I mean, for instance, after the death of our son, I wanted to hear from people who had lost their children that were ahead of me in the journey. So could you just share a little bit about some of the struggles that you experienced? So when my husband and I got married, we were living in a town that we loved, serving in a church that we loved. My husband was finishing up seminary. My parents lived across town. Our best friends lived in our neighborhood. I really felt like we had achieved like the white picket fence life. Like, and we were a obediently seeking the Lord in ministry. And this was the life we were going to have. And that all kind of blew up <laughs> about two years into our marriage. My husband really was struggling with whether or not he should be pursuing a pastoral call. He was doing like music ministry and college ministry at the time. And he's a gifted preacher. And so really felt that the Lord was calling him to pursue full-time pastoral ministry. And I was really happy where we were. And at the same time, we had started trying to have a family. And to, to make a really long story short, <laughs> we um, received a, a call from a church in Missouri and we accepted it. And just, you know, in the Lord's mysterious ways, the week before we packed up a moving truck, I went to a doctor and found out it was unlikely that we would ever have children. And it, I, I was not prepared for it. I really thought, you know, we'd done testing and I really thought I would go into that office and she'd hand me a prescription. You know, I didn't even think that being unable to have children was a possibility. I didn't know anyone who struggled with infertility. I barely knew the word. And so then to have this, well, this is now your future, which seemed to me a very bleak and empty future. And so I didn't really have time to process it. We packed up a moving truck and we moved a week later and we were in a new town and a new state and a new church. I didn't know anyone. And so I, at that point, just began wrestling, struggling with bitterness towards the Lord. And then suddenly I was a pastor's wife. And at that time I was 24 years old. I was young and, you know, all of this safety that I felt in the Lord really had been shattered. I wasn't sure if he loved me. I wasn't sure if he was good. I looked around and saw everyone else have children when they wanted, how many they wanted. And every time I saw someone have the answer to my prayer, I, I just thought that the Lord was holding out on me and I couldn't understand why. So we began ministering. And like I said, a few minutes ago, we've been here 15 years and probably five years into it, we started the adoption process. We brought home our oldest son, Isaiah. And, you know, in that moment, I was, I was able to look back and see God's purpose in my infertility. But in some ways, having a child then made me realize how much I had been missing and I longed for more. And I really, I think I almost wrestled with my infertility more after we brought Isaiah home because I knew that I knew how expensive adoption was. I knew how complicated it was. And I knew that it was not something we could just do again so easily. And, and I had no control over the biological parts of it. So we couldn't just get pregnant. And so I really wrestled um, for years after that with the fact that I couldn't just grow my family like it seemed everyone else could. Going on at the same time, the church ministry that we walked into was pretty rough. We, we were naive when we came. Um, we were young. My husband was 27 when he became a senior pastor. I was 24. I mean, I had just graduated from college a couple of years before that. And we were coming from a very healthy church and we walked into a sinking ship and we didn't know it. And the church really just began as a long, slow implosion after we came. And we really didn't make it better. We kind of made it worse in attempting to make it better. And so we did a lot of things wrong. And, you know, people left for this reason or that reason. And people left because people left. And 
it just felt like a constant slow failure all of the time. And it's hard to watch my husband who used to be very confident, just kind of crumple a little bit and, and lose confidence in his abilities. Even in that though, I, I do see that the Lord was working out humility in us and teaching us that we were not there to save anyone. We were just there to be faithful. And that was a long lesson. Some of the stresses of serving in that broken ministry, they reached a peak uh, about, I don't know, maybe it's been almost 10 years ago. The stress of it affected me physically. I began having trouble sleeping, and then I began presenting unusual physical symptoms that didn't seem to be related. I had weird rashes on my skin. My hair started to thin. Um, I was having excruciating pain in my lower back. I had digestive problems. I had trouble thinking clearly. Nothing seemed related at the time. And I just kept chalking things up to stress except for the back pain. I really couldn't understand where that was coming from. And as the years passed, that got worse and worse and worse until one day I woke up and realized I have a chronic pain condition and I don't know what it is. And about that time, we had entered the adoption process again, had spent a few years waiting. We had tried to go the international route and spent a few years on the waiting list before that international country closed to American adoptions. So then we had to switch. We moved over to domestic adoption again and waited two and a half more years. And so we have like all of these things going on at once, really painful, terrible church ministry that's just continuing to fail. And we're not really sure why the Lord has kept us here at that point. And then we're in an adoption process that won't seem to end. And then I'm dealing with continually worsening physical problems that doctors can't seem to diagnose. And, you know, all of that at the same time, you know, I, I struggled. Sometimes I felt like this is too much. This is too much. And maybe it was, and maybe that was the purpose because I just lost all confidence in my own abilities, all confidence in, in, in what I knew prior to that, long time. And the Lord really brought me in humility to the word to say, I don't know what's true anymore. Tell me who you are. And that was pivotal for me because I had to go to the authority of scripture to know what was true about my life and to know what was true about God. And this is going to sound cliche, but that is when everything changed for me. And that's really when I began to grasp the truth that my suffering may last forever, but God's presence lasts longer than that. And that was such a comfort to me. Wow. That, that's, that's an amazing, amazing journey. And I know that you're not finished. You have a lot of years ahead of you in your relationship to the Lord. But I, again, I resonate with what you're saying because I came to that point. I remember the morning that I, I said, Lord, I don't feel like I know who you are anymore. And I need you to reveal yourself to me. And you know, it wasn't an audible voice, but I know that his message to me was, if you want to know me, look at Jesus and book of John. I, I knew that I was to camp out in the book of John. And it was, it was an amazing, amazing moment for me, uh, a turning point in my own journey as I really began to fall in love with the Lord. And again, and watching Jesus interact with people and his tenderness and all of it. It was just so amazing. And there are cliches, but there's a lot of truth in cliches and his word is alive and it, it meets us where we are in ways that we could never expect. So during that time, I mean, 
I remember going to the hospital, a young woman was about to have her baby and her baby had died in utero. So she was nine months pregnant and she called and asked us to come. And this was after we had lost Mark. And I walked into the room and she and I were good friends. She was was our daughter's age. And she said, this feels so mean. And I, I know what she meant. She meant God is being mean to me. You know, it was hard to say, I, I didn't say much at that point, but did you ever feel that way as though, you know, God was blessing all these other people with what you wanted, but he's just being mean. He's left you out. Yeah, I did feel that way at times. Sometimes I felt like, was he punishing me for something? Was, why was he doing this to me and not everyone else? You know, I, all of my friends, I watched them have children have more children and then complete their families while I was still waiting. And I just, every time a friend got pregnant or I heard of someone's church ministry just thriving and flourishing, or, you know, I I felt like an indictment on my own life. And again, that was me looking at God through the lens of my circumstances when really I needed to reverse that and I needed to look at my circumstances through the lens of God's character. And so, you know, if you go, if you are in Christ, I mean, the scriptures clearly teach at Romans eight, right? There is no condemnation for us. And so the things that happen to us, God's not punishing us because he's already all of that punishment for our sins was poured out on Jesus. And so if I say that God is punishing me by withholding children or whatever the situation might be, then I'm saying Jesus, the sacrifice wasn't enough for me. And so that's really where what we believe about the Bible has to inform the way we view God. And so it was going to the scripture over and over to correct that thinking that I had that God was being mean. So when I started opening my Bible and just asking the question, who are you? I would get out a spiral notebook and a pen. I did this for years. I started in the book of Isaiah. I went to the book of Exodus. I went to the gospel of John. I went through some epistles and I just wrote down anytime there was like, God is this, or God says this, or God does this. I would just write it down. And this perception that I had of him just exploded. And I'm so thankful because the God that I had formed and made in my own image in my mind was not the God of scripture. And he's not mean. I felt that he was, but what I didn't understand is that he is sovereign and he's wise. And sometimes his no is actually just a different yes. And maybe Maybe it's not the yes that I want, but it's the yes that I need. I don't have the full picture. I can't see all of history at one time the way that he can. And so, you know, I can look back sometimes and see that his no was really a kindness or him allowing this was a mercy. I can sit right here now and tell you that 10 years of of suffering was for my good. It was hard to capture that in the middle of it, though. And so it's in the middle of it, I think, that when we have to look at who God says he is in his script, in his word. This is how he chose to reveal himself. So we let him tell us who he is and then look at our life through that lens. And I think that protects us against seeing him as vindictive or mean or judgmental. When, if we're in Christ, I mean, he looks at, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. And so um, that was really helpful for me to really change the way I was thinking about him. When you were, uh, involved in your second adoption, which was a rocky road for you, where were you in your journey with the Lord? At that point, I had really come to a strong place with him. The 
physical toll that my mysterious condition had taken had really just wrecked my health and kept me going to the word every morning in so much physical pain. And my brain was really foggy during that time. And I had trouble sort of assessing what was real. And, you know, I had a lot of issues with anxiety during that time, mostly because I didn't know what was going on. And then we got the call that this baby was going to be born and, and then was born. And it was a long way away. We had to travel far. We had a seven-year-old at the time. And, you know, I loved him instantly. And we spent the first week with him out of state and then it all began to unravel. And, you know, I have to, I always say this, I have to be really careful when I tell my son's adoption stories because they're not really mine to tell. They belong to my kids. And so all I really want to say is that, you know, there were legal issues that were hard to wade through and we had to side with family members who really wanted to fight for what was best for the child. And so we fought for what was best for the child. Mm-hmm. And and, and it was eight months in court. Mm-hmm. And every night I would rock this little boy and put him in his crib. And I would just rest my hand on his chest and feel him breathe and feel his heartbeat. And I would pray, Lord, don't take him away. You know, I just, it's all been so much. We've waited so long. I, I can't imagine not waking up with him tomorrow. And, and every day the news changed. Our attorney called regularly and you know, it, at any point we could have had to give him up and it was not a fostering situation, but it kind of played out that way logistically. And it was a day in and day out. If tomorrow everything falls apart, is the Lord enough for me? And in my head, I knew that he would be because he has always historically been enough for his people. But in my heart, it was a daily fight. And I really camped out in the Psalms during that eight months because the language of lament in the Psalms, I just didn't have any other words to say. And so I would just open my Bible to the Psalms and say those words back to the Lord. How long, how long will you forget me forever? And uh, one of the Psalms that really ministered to me during that time was Psalm 33. And, um, you know, I would just, I would read the Psalms over and over again, and then I would date them with each new email from an attorney or each new call from the social worker or each new court date. I would just date everything. So the Bible I was using at that time is full of dates of that year. And I'm so thankful for the preceding years of suffering, the physical trauma and pain, the church hurt, the the infertility, because the Lord had sort of rewired my brain by that point. So my default response to suffering, which used to be just question the Lord all the time and think he's, you know, doesn't love me, had gradually changed to open your Bible and remember what's true. And so by the time we got to this phase in life, that was my default response because the Lord had really wrung that out of me and kind of hammered it into my head. Um, there is nowhere else to go. You have to come to me. And so that was my practice at that point. And I'm so glad for those preceding years of trials. They really prepared me for this, which I can just say, this will resonate with you more than it does with me. But when it comes to the potential loss of a child, I just can't think of anything else that's harder. And so it was definitely in my experience, the possibility of losing him every day was the hardest thing the Lord has taken us through. And so his word was just my sure foundation. And I could not, I don't know how people outside of Christ grapple with such suffering. I really don't. Well, there are two things that you said. uh, I mean, you said a lot of things, but two things I want to pick up on. And that is 
does the Lord give us more than we can handle? Because I think there's a lie out there that says he doesn't give you more than you can handle. And I, I believe that we, we do receive more than we can handle because it drives us to him. That when are you the most intimate with him? You're, you're, you're faced with a, a choice. And even if it's the relationship is filled with lamenting, there's nothing more intimate, I think. And that really demonstrates faith. Some people have the wrong impression that to lament is a sign of weak faith. And when, um, after the death of our son, Mark, I was invited to speak at numerous places and I decided I was going to be transparent as a pastor's wife to say, I'm wrestling it. It's I'm wrestling. I wrestled with the Lord and he did not reject me. He called me into his lap and he held me tighter and he, he can take your questions. He invites your questions. He's not scared of them. He doesn't get mad at you read the Psalms, go back into the Psalms. And it's so interesting to me that you're talking about dating the Psalms with that journey. For me, right after Mark's death, I asked my husband to buy me a Bible, a new Bible, because I knew God was taking us on a journey. And I didn't want, I wanted a record of it. And every morning I would read from Streams in the Desert and My Utmost for His Highest. I'd read one Psalm and one Proverb. And even though sometimes those words didn't mean a thing to me, but in my Bible, I have dates next to scriptures that uh, refer me back to my journal because I journaled a lot so that in my journal is a record of why that scripture meant so much to me. And so tracking the, you know, I have to put both of them together, but that's okay. Tracking the journey by doing like you did. I think it's such a practical thing to do because lots of times people say, I don't even know how to start. That's a good way to start. I believe that's a good way to start. And it, the gift of wrestling uh, for me, I, I didn't want that gift because I wanted to be that woman that's in the cocoon of grace and everybody says, oh, she's so wonderful. <laughs> Look at her faith. But I decided the night of Mark's death, I wasn't going to pretend that I needed to know that if anybody saw Jesus in me, it's because he, w- he did it, not because I pretended. And that wrestling just threw me into a, a deeper understanding of who he is and his love and that even though I'm wrestling, he's loving me. I love the way that you talked about um, our identity in Christ, and there's nothing that is going to separate us from that love. And so that's so exciting. Um, I don't want you to tell your whole story because I want our listeners to get your book and to dig deeper. And I just want to tell you guys that are listening, this is just a touch of Glenn's story. It's just a touch of the hope that her story uh, offers to us. So I'm hoping that you will get it. And the title is The Promise is His Presence, Why God is Always Enough. The Promise is His Presence, Why God is Always Enough. And um, I just I want to recommend 150% that you check out her book and get the rest of the story. But Glenna, as we kind of wrap up our time together, I want you to think about that one person who is listening, who really is feeling as though there's one wave after another coming. And though they are, they're feeling like, okay, I believe in the presence of God, but I don't feel like he's here. Um, I don't have an emotional response to him. I, I'm not even sure what the next step should be for me to uh, draw closer to him. I hear you say those words, but they are meaningless to me right now. What, what hope and what encouragement could you give? If you could just speak person to person as though that person is sitting right in front of you. Yeah, I think that it's easy to equate, you know, feeling God's presence with a feeling or 
feeling very connected to him as, okay, now, now I've got it. I'm re- I, you know, I feel really emotionally connected to the Lord, but sometimes our feelings are really slow to catch up with truth. And sometimes our feelings are in opposition to truth. And so I, what I would say is you need to anchor yourself in what is true. And I mean, I say this, I've said it several times this morning, but you have to go to the scripture to know what's true and let scripture inform your emotions and tell your heart what to feel. And that's what I love about the Psalms too, is that, you know, there is that language of lament, but then there's always a turn. So you're given the, the language of grief and, and let's talk about what's hard and, or maybe how I don't feel anything at all, or how my heart is cold, but then there's always a turn to remember God's past faithfulness. And so when we focus and meditate on the Lord's past faithfulness, I really think that encourages us to believe in his present and future faithfulness. He has always been faithful and he always will be. And so for the Christian, I think that looks practically like taking accounting of your own life and looking at the way the, the ways the Lord has been faithful to you. And then looking back even further and looking at the faithfulness he has exhibited in scripture, in the story of scripture, the way that he has kept his promise to be with his people, the way he has sent Jesus to pay for our sins, the way he has sent the Holy Spirit to live in us until we see him face to face. He is keeping his promises to us over and over. And so sometimes it's hard to to get our hearts to feel excited about that. And so I think it it comes with time. I think it comes with faithfully day in and day out, meeting with the Lord, opening his word, saying to him, my heart feels cold to you. I feel nothing. Tell him that. Tell him that you need him to thaw out whatever it is that's keeping your heart from engaging. He knows your heart better than you do. He appreciates honest prayer. I can tell you that. And so, I mean, you can read the Psalms to know that he appreciates honest prayer and is honored by that. And so I think persistently praying, Lord, help me to to stir my affections for you. And I think going to the word, focusing on his character, reminding yourself of the gospel of Jesus, eventually there is a cumulative effect there. And I think sometimes we quit too quickly. We say, I don't feel like this is doing anything in my life because we're kind of used to quick returns for our efforts or instant gains. And that's not really true with the spiritual life. It's a, it's a really long haul. Perseverance is something that happens over time. And so if we're going through a dry spell or we're just suffering and feeling like the Lord is silent, I keep pressing forward because the cumulative effect of you opening up your Bible will fall what's in, you know, that chunk of ice in your chest that you feel because the Bible is not like any other book. It is the living and active word of God and can thaw even the coldest heart. And so seek the Lord because he will be found. And so I would charge a person with with perseverance and faithfulness, knowing that the Lord is doing something, whether you can feel it or not. Thank you, Glenna, so much. Uh, I appreciate, again, your transparency and uh, the hope that your story gives us. I'm Sharon Betters, and you have been listening to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Marking Ministries. And my guest today is Glenna Marshall, and she is the author of the book, The Promise is His Presence. And we will have information on our website in the program notes where uh, we'll have Glenna's website. We'll have a link to her book so that you can easily find it. Um, We're just so, so privileged and honored that Glenna has joined us this morning to share her story of Help and Hope. Again, I'm Sharon Betters, and you have been listening to a Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. You can go to markinc.org, that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. 
where you can find more information about Glenna and all of the hundreds of free resources that we offer that are stories like Glenna's, um, devotionals, questions about suffering, um, many, many resources that fit our vision of offering help and hope to hurting people. So thank you so much for listening.